This, we have been studying his earthly life and ministry. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He didn't stay in one location. He didn't build buildings to house people to come and hear him. He built into people him. And as Peter would later write in one of his letters, that we are the building stones of the church. And so Jesus would predominantly spend his time in Galilee and that area. He would go to Jerusalem on the appropriate feast days. He would also go across the Sea of Galilee and, and minister there. In Matthew chapter 15, we see Jesus going outside of Jerusalem and outside of Galilee and even outside of what would be considered Israel proper. And in verse 21, it says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. It doesn't tell us a lot about why Jesus, other than he withdrew. So I will tell you what I think, and with that and a couple of dollars, you can buy a coffee at Starbucks. Jesus is becoming more and more well-known and popular in the sense of not knowing exactly who he is, but assuming that he is the Messiah who will be the one who's reigning, and they're wanting to make him king. And as he performs these various signs and wonders and miracles, it gets people more and more intent on seizing him and making him king. And so he's going to withdraw from that area and go to a Gentile area. And I think so that he can continue to teach his disciples, but go without the added distraction of people wanting to make him Messiah King. So he's gone quite a ways north. In verse 22, it says, And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So this woman is a Gentile. We're told she's a Canaanite, which is interesting. The only use of the word Canaanite in the New Testament is here. This woman lived in an area where there were lots of gods. And if you've ever had the opportunity to go to the Mediterranean area of Europe or in the Asia part where Israel and Jordan and, and, and Syria and all these other places are, it is not uncommon for every city to have a temple dedicated to some god of that city. And they usually place their temple on the highest mount in the area. Not more than three miles northeast of Sidon was a temple for a God who was the God of healing. We're not told what this woman did, whether she ever went to that temple or not, but apparently if she had, it did her no good. So she goes to Jesus. And even though she's a Gentile, she knows enough about him 
that not only does she call him Lord, although that's probably out of respect, not out of sense of who he is, but she does call him son of David, which has messianic overtones. So being a Gentile, she still knows enough about the Jewish culture to understand who the son of David is, and she's saying Jesus is this person. And her daughter is not only demon-possessed, but cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, which you kind of think is odd for Jesus, because Jesus is this compassionate, wimpy kind of guy who just does whatever anybody asks him to do, and he basically ignores her. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. Now, I understand this woman entirely. When you become desperate and you think the only remedy is someone, you're going to be persistent. And nothing is going to dissuade you from getting the help that you need. And so Jesus ignoring her doesn't stop her. She continues to be consistent and persistent in her calling because her daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And I, I find it interesting because we're going to see this word again in another situation. But it's the disciples who implored Jesus not to cure the daughter, but to send the woman away. They're basically begging him, just get her out of here. She's bugging us. She keeps calling out. Can you imagine how hard-hearted you must be to not care about this woman's plight, but your own personal comfort? Then again, sometimes we all do that. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, it's true. Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel because that was his first, not his only, but his first and foremost ministry was to preach the gospel to Israel. Even Paul, when he's ministering to Gentiles almost exclusively, says to the Jew first and then the Greek, then the Gentile. And so the ministry always starts with the people of God. So she go, he basically says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In essence, your problems are not my problems. Oh, well. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice she still is not dissuaded. Jesus says, I've been... I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she comes and gets right down and bows and says, but help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Now, for those who, there are those commentators who, who want to soften this a bit. And they say the word dog here is kind of like little dog. It's kind of like a household pet. In the, this first century, dogs were of kind of two types. There were the scavenger dogs that ran around 
the cities and the areas and they scavenged and they were, you couldn't trust them. They were mean. They, they just, they were scavengers and they were considered unclean. And then some would have little household pets. And so what they're saying is that Jesus is not calling her the scavenger dog. He's calling her a little household pet. The truth is she's still calling her a dog. Not calling her a human, not even calling her a lost sheep. Saying it's not good to give the children's food to a dog. But she said, yes, Lord. Notice she doesn't countermand him. She doesn't say, argue with him and say, no, I'm not a dog. I'm a human. How do you, why would you? She, she goes, yes, Lord. Eve, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She doesn't argue her position. She doesn't argue that how dare Jesus. She's saying, yeah, I know, but even the house pets, when the children are eating and when the master is eating, crumbs will fall. And oftentimes children will kind of sneak food to the pet. And we're always telling them, don't feed the dogs human food, but kids never listen. One, because they want to feed the dog, and two, they want to get it off their plate. So they feed it to the dog. So she's saying, in reality, yeah, yes, I'm a dog, but even dogs benefit from their master. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Isn't it interesting? Here's this Gentile, this Canaanite, who comes and pleads, and Jesus dissuades her by saying, I've only come to the lost sheep, calls her a, a dog, does all these things, and yet she knows exactly who Jesus is and what he can do and is not dissuaded by anything. Oh, that his disciples had this faith. They're having trouble. He, he gives them at best, oh, you of little faith. And she says, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Jesus didn't need to go there. Jesus didn't need to know well, what's your daughter's name. He healed her because Jesus knows all things and has authority even over demons who cruelly treat their host. Jesus is going to move again. And so if you'll turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 31, it says this. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. This is a, a group of 10 cities that are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's traveled down south, across the sea, and into, again, another Gentile area. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hands on him. Before the disciples implored Jesus 
to send the woman away. These people who apparently are the friends of this man who are deaf and has difficulty of speaking doesn't tell us. Maybe it's stutter. Maybe it's whatever. But he has difficulty communicating his thoughts. And so they implore Jesus to lay his hands on him, which again I find interesting and which is a, a lot like us. When we go to God, we ask God to do something, but we usually tell God how to do it. Now, if you've been paying attention to Jesus' ministry and how he's healed, he's done everything like this woman where he healed from afar. He's done where he's spoken. He's done where he's touched people. He's done it in a number of different ways. And they've determined that Jesus ought to heal this person, but they ought to heal this person by laying hands on him. So I'm just kind of reminding us, when we come to God to ask him to do things, let him have the flexibility of doing it how he wants. Because I found in my short, miserable life that he does things better than I suggest. I think, okay, God, you do it this way, and God does it this way, you go, boy, that was much better. More people were impacted. Your name was more glorified. Maybe I ought to keep my thoughts to myself and just let you be God. So they wanted to lay his hands on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. And he put his fingers into his ear. He didn't lay hands. He used his fingers. Again, he didn't need to, but Jesus does things differently in different situations so that maybe we would understand that Jesus can do things differently in different situations. So he puts his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Well, that's not all that uh, hygienic, but he does so anyway. He touches his tongue with his saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Again, Jesus does this, and there's an immediate healing. There is this response, which is kind of, if you will, an example of what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples and others. For all too often, we don't hear God's voice. We're deaf spiritually. Either it's because we're deaf or it's because the world is so loud we can't hear anything else. And we don't express the glory of God properly because we don't understand who he is. And Jesus, while he heals this person physically, he's trying to show the lost sheep of Israel that he's come to heal them spiritually. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. At the end, when we see Jesus, end of his earthly ministry and before he goes back to the Father, he tells us that we are to be his witnesses 
in Judea and Samaria and other remotest parts of the world, baptizing people, teaching them and all that other stuff. Maybe you should have said, don't do that. Don't tell anybody about me. Don't, don't be my disciples. Because it seems that the more pe- he tells people not to do something, they do it. And the more he tells people to do something, they don't. I don't know, maybe it's reverse psychology or something, I don't know. So maybe the Great Commission should have been the great don't do anything. Because then maybe we would have actually gone out and done it. So he strict, gives them strict orders not to tell anybody, and they just keep proclaiming it. And they, being those people, who were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, if you look in your Bibles, I doubt you will ever find in the Old Testament any healing of a deaf person. It is a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. But it's also a demonstration, they say, he does all things well. Now, I want to go over that one sentence. He, Jesus, does, means present tense. All, without exclusion. Things, circumstances, and people. Well, excellent. He does all things well. So maybe as a Syrophoenician woman or as the friends of this man, we should seek Jesus first, last, and in between. Because he does all things well. It doesn't matter the circumstance. He does it well. It doesn't matter your situation. He does it well. I want to share a story I heard this week. There was a gentleman who was a psychiatrist from South Africa. It was during the time when they started developing medicine for anti-depression. And he started going around the world to see how other cultures and, and whatever treated depression and to make them aware of this new medicine. So he went to Cambodia and he talked to the doctors there and he told them about this medicine for anti-depression. And they go, we know about that. He says, there was a man who was working in the rice fields and there was a landmine there still in the rice field and he stepped on it and it blew off his leg. And he was put a prosthesis on his leg and he continued to work in the rice fields. But as he worked in the rice fields, he would cry and he would be depressed. And it was just something that was almost hard to bear. And it was hard to understand whether it was because of the water and whatever was causing pain or because of the fear that he might step on another landmine. So somebody had the the good, bright idea of buying him a cow. He started milking it. He started making his, his living by milking the cow and selling the milk instead of having to work in the rice fields. 
And he started becoming happy. And he started becoming more confident. And they say, we know all about this medicine. So you brought more cows. In our culture, we think a pill will solve it. Or if a pill won't, alcohol will. Or something that will dull the pain. Instead of finding out what the root cause of the depression is. And let's face it, we have a world that keeps self-medicating. As his disciples, we need to be aware what the problem is that people are experiencing and deal with it appropriately rather than medicating them or just saying, well, too bad. But in addition, we need to give them Jesus because he does all things well. I may not be a good counselor. I may not know how to get to the problem that you're experiencing and why you're depressed. But Jesus does. And why is it that we will allow medicine to have more opportunity to work than we allow Jesus the opportunity to work? Because he does all things well. Turn back to Matthew chapter 15. It continues, verse 29, it says this, And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid hands down at his feet, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified God, the God of Israel. I add this because it happened, but I add this because each of us has a problem. Each of us has a defect. Each of us has a difficulty. As I frequently say, the only normal people are the people I haven't met yet. Because all of us are dysfunctional. So there's a large crowd and Jesus is healing them. Similarly, today, there are a large group of people who need the healing of Jesus. Your problem may not be listed here, but your problem, Jesus handles well. So let him give you purpose. Let him give you meaning. Let him take away the pain. Let him show you who you are, that you are loved with an everlasting love, that nothing that you have done and nothing that you will ever do will ever separate you from his love. Because even his love, he does well.
So this message is for two types of people. If you're broken, come to Jesus. If you're not broken and you're looking for a ministry, understand people and point them to Jesus. Because I will never totally understand your situation. Because you and I are different. But I know Jesus does. Because he made you. And he loves you. And he'll keep you. And he does all things well. And all God's people said,